we have sung and we believe. Through the storm you are Lord, Lord of all. As Isaiah the prophet found himself in the middle of a storm of concern for your people, so we pray that as we face the storms of life, that we may know you are Lord of all. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Do please sit. It's a bit worrying. Someone's taken the preacher's clock away. Well, I may lose track of time, but I'm sure you'll remind me after the first half hour. I went to watch the movie Interstellar on Friday. It's one of those movies that plays with notions of time. It had some really interesting ideas uh, going on inside it. And one such idea was the issue of what it means to promise, which is inevitably a promise forward into time. Stand on a hill, and you can look in front of you, and behind you, and to each side. Space can be travelled in each direction. But stand on a hill at a particular moment and you cannot look into the future or behind into your past. Time can only be travelled in one direction and that frustrates us. It leads to all kinds of questions and suggestions from wild, expensive movies to down-home Doctor Who. We cannot stand so as to get different perspectives on time We can only move at the rate of one minute per minute. Now, you may be completely uninterested in such grand, exotic puzzles. There's no reason why anyone should be interested. But the idea that plays out over centuries in one movie plays out in the course of a day in my life, and I'm guessing in yours... And there we do care. Because it is one of the storms of life lived with God. How many days do I sit down with God in the morning and say, yep, I blew it again. I remembered your mercy, yet I went out and put myself first again. And it's really the same issue. Can I... So remember the past of God's goodness that it changes my future? Or am I just bound in some fated way, endlessly, to keep repeating the pattern? And that's just reminded me this moment, actually. There's another movie, Groundhog Day, if you've seen it, from a different generation, of what it feels like endlessly to repeat the pattern. A couple of weeks ago, when we were in Isaiah, I used the image of a daisy, as the lover may pick off the petals, saying, she loves me, she loves me not, hoping for the daisy to come up at the final end with the right answer. 
So the petals of these chapters towards the end of Isaiah are being pulled off as we get closer. He loves us, he loves us not. He loves us, he loves us not. How is it going to end? And Isaiah is having to deal here with the mystery of time. Now we've left it alone for a little while, so let's go back to it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 64, page 750. Now a sketch of uh, this chapter would work a little bit like this. Verses 1 and 2. Oh, that you would do this. Rend the heavens, come down, mountains tremble, etc. Do this in the near, near future. Then verses 3 to the first part of 5... Because you used to, you used to act to defend us, your people. You did awesome things we didn't expect. You came down, the mountains trembled. No eyes ever seen a God like you. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. You used to. But, second part of verse 5 through to verse 7, we are sinners from of old. I'm going to just press the pause button there before we go any further. Those three parts, 1 to 2, 3 to 5a, 5b to 7. And I want to look at two things. First, if you look at verse 4, since ancient times, and then verse uh, 5, the second bit, when we continued to sin... Uh, the, the original word is exactly the same. Uh, and I suppose you'd capture it if you would say, of old. So verse 4 would then be, since times of old no one has heard, no ear has perceived. And then the second part of verse 5 would say, but when we sinned of old against them your ways, you were angry. It's the same word. You have acted from of old to judge in favor of us, your people. That's verse 4, and this is unique. Because ancient gods were gods of a place. They moved around. They, uh, sorry, they didn't move around. They stayed in the place of which they were a god. It's, it's unique when Israel turns up with this god who has been a god for them, wandering through the desert, finally settling in Jerusalem. But that heritage means that wherever he is, or wherever they are, They know that they and God are tied together. You've acted from of old to judge in favor of us, your people. But, verse 5, our sin is also something in which we continued from of old. Our sin has been going for as long as your mercy has been going. Your mercy has been going on as long as our sin has been going. And that sets up the tension. Each daisy petal seems as strong as, all the, as the other one. How's it going to end? My impulse toward sin and God's impulse toward mercy seem equal. Which is going to win out? As verse 6, sorry, verse 5 puts it. 
when mercy is met with further sin, how then can we be saved? And that's my problem every morning. When I know that God's mercy has met with further sin in my life, how then can I be saved? And the experienced reader, doesn't have to be all of us, but some of us will be aware, there'll be a little ticking memory going on, and it's Romans chapter 7, where St. Paul says, Knowing the grace and mercy of Christ, I am wretched in my continuing sin. As things stand, who then can be saved? That's what he says, who then can be saved? Where Isaiah says, how then can we be saved? That's the first thing I wanted to look at in this pause. The second thing is this. Look at what moves in this passage physically. The mountains tremble before God in verse 1. We shrivel before you in nothingness because of our sin in verse 6. The Lord God, Yahweh, by name, Always worth saying, when you see those little capital letters in an English translation of the Bible where it says, Lord, it just so frustrates me, I wish they wouldn't do it. It's because the original has God's name, Yahweh. But there's an ancient tradition of, it's a Jewish tradition, I don't know why we keep it, of not using the name but saying the Lord instead. But it's in, it's, it means you're talking to God by name, it's intimate. The Lord God, Yahweh, causes mountains to quiver, the nations to quake, and his own people to wither and waste away in their sin, because, verse 7, no one calls on your name. It's all very structured. It's all very poetic. But it contains oceans of pain. You were kind to us, and we kicked you in the teeth. And we see around us the judgment that it brought upon us. Well, that's the pause. Let's go on. One to five has had things how it used to be. Until the but of uh, verse five. And then from uh, there through to verse seven. With how we ourselves have been. And now there's a yet at the beginning of verse eight. And it's an end of the day yet. You know how in interviews on radio or television, the argument goes back and forth, and then the person being interviewed says, at the end of the day, John, we like Europe and they don't. Or whatever it may be. Things are like this. On the other hand, they're like that. Now, at the end of the day we get to the underlying issue. I've just been uh, at the uh, men's away weekend, and uh, last night I was uh, astonished how tremendously faithful our men uh, uh, in the church who are away this weekend are to match of the day. (laughs) I hadn't realised how late into the evening it runs. But they are faithful. And it just, I just associate that kind of language with football commentary. Well, at the end of the day, John, it's a game of two halves or something like that. And this is an end of the day yet. The past glory and the present disaster have both been reviewed. Now, 
at the end of the day, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Then in verse 9, we are your people. These are the under eternal truths that lie under everything else that's been said. You made us. You made us and retain the rights of the maker. You are more. You are the father, the father of your people. So how can you stay angry? Note this. There is absolutely no seeking to escape judgment here. There is no saying your punishment is unjust. Isn't there another way? None of that. There is no seeking to justify themselves, to excuse themselves. But, they say, the punishment on us, which seems fully merited, the punishment brings contempt, not so much on us, but on your name, O God. It is your cities, verse 10, that have become a desert, your capital that has become a desolation, your temple of praise that has been burned with fire. So because it brings contempt on your name, Yahweh, verse 12, will you hold yourself back? Yourself is involved in the punishment. The worst punishment for us and for the world is for Yahweh to be silent, verse 12. No one calls, verse 7, and you are silent, verse 12. We cannot break that impasse, says Isaiah 64. At the end of the day, you have to come and be our father again. Make us over once again as the clay in the hands of you, the potter. And that is Isaiah 64. It's a terrible situation, but it's not that hard to understand. And of course, the deepest question has to be this, as so often. I may recognize myself in some of these verses, but this is the Old Testament. We come to the the cups and plates awaiting. We come to the meal, the feast, the memorial of the New Covenant, the New Testament, So is this merely of mild interest? And I want to put it like this. Can the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ say these things as Isaiah 64 does? Where will we be at the end of the day, John? Well, there are similarities. As I've said, St. Paul seems to have lived inside Isaiah 64 when he was writing Romans chapter 7. Go look at it later. I delight in God's law, he says, you've been merciful, yet evil is there in me. And our personal experience can feel very like Isaiah 64, very like Romans 7. As I've said again, I can read my Bible in the morning and turn to prayer and it seems every day is the same. Your word reminds me of your goodness and yet I have come to confess before you the sins of in which I have flung your goodness back in your face. 
From of old you have been merciful. From of old I have been sinning. There are similarities. But there are also differences. The big one seems to me to be this, and it's again a matter of time. In verse 10, the terrible judgment has happened on Jerusalem and the temple. It's a judgment that is still waiting for good news, for the reversal of the destruction in which God's enemies have just obliterated the buildings. But we live in God's answer to verse 12. God has not kept silent. He has not punished us beyond measure. The terrible judgment for us and the reversal of it are both behind us, as could not have been true for Isaiah 64. On the cross of Jesus Christ, the entire weight of rebellion was carried. Night fell on a green hill that had become a desert and a desolation. Verse 10 here. But Sunday morning saw the great reversal and Jesus is raised. It is not open to me, therefore, to pray the lines that are here at the end. Will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent? Will you punish us beyond measure? And that's because he has not held himself back. His utter utterance, his final word, his full expression is in the man from Nazareth, Jesus Christ. When God has spoken Jesus Christ, there is no more to say. He is not silent because the final word has been spoken. The entire punishment for all rebellion has been endured, and that is the measure of the cross. There is no punishment for his people beyond that measure. And so, if you want to stay in the structure of this chapter... The followers of Jesus, you and me, we have our verse 1 to 5, the similarities. We have our verse 5 to 7, the differences. And therefore, where does that leave us at the end of the day, John? And I go back to that movie, Interstellar, and its investigation of promise. Because after all, if we take seriously the fact that the final punishment, the final reversal in resurrection have happened. It is theoretically possible. And again, incidentally, Paul picks this up in Romans again and again. It is theoretically possible for the person who's confident of the differences for the Christ follower over against 64, the fact now that these things have happened finally, to say, well, the punishment is paid. There is no more punishment I can do as I please. And what's interesting to me about that confidence is that it is only ever raised in argument with another believer. Sometimes it's raised by people who are thinking, considering the faith of Jesus and kind of want to put me off my course. Well, if I do that, then I obviously can live what I like, can't I? Yeah, you haven't got an argument really, Alan. But it's hard to imagine that super-confident person coming before God with that approach. 
because the approach to God demands that we know the truth of these verses. God makes mountains tremble and believers quake. Isaiah 64 may raise the questions of time, of destiny, of how it will work out at the end of the day, but the security of the believer is in this, that these questions are held within the conversation with God. We must not pay attention to meaning and ignore the form. Oh, that you, it begins. It's face-to-face address with God. Will you keep silent, it ends. Face-to-face address with God. When Paul is in Romans 7, incidentally, uh, he, he is making it a, a, a prayer. It's an interior dialogue. He's talking with God again, because that's actually how it always has to matter. I became a Christian out of a background. I don't know if you know any people like this, but this was my background. A smug, arrogant sixth former who knew all the arguments. I could persuade you that black was white, I was heading to be a lawyer, and I knew that God could not exist. Till Jesus touched me with a knowledge of his reality, and everything switched round. Faced with the puzzles of the daisy, how will it end at the end of the day? We know it will end well if we remain in conversation with the one who knows the end of all our days. Which is not a bad place to finish on Advent Sunday. We are reminded that Jesus will appear again, not to achieve anything more, but to bring to fulfillment what has already been achieved in the cross and resurrection. Right now, even right now, we may be wondering, even with the final punishment and glorious resurrection behind us, we may be wondering about where we may fit. And if not ourselves, what about the people of God more widely? who are still abused and mistreated and persecuted and seemingly helpless. And what I take from Isaiah 64, given that I do have a New Testament and a Romans 7, is this. If I am still in conversation with this God who I call my father, my potter, then I have the answer for the end of the day. It is a promise this chapter. And promises are personal. It may get dreadful. It's unlikely, but I may lose my life for Jesus, as many others have done. I may be a sinner and fail in my own ambitions for godliness. But while I am still bringing all that every morning to this God, then I am saying there is nowhere I want to live except inside his promise that it ends well for those in conversation with the one who stands at the end of the day. Can we pray together? And I would ask you just to hold in your mind those patterns in your life that just frustrate you time and time again because you have taken God's mercy and goodness and grace and just also carried on in the old ways.
Callum, do you want to come up to lead the rest of our prayers just as I finish here? Lord God, we, we know and you know the frustrations of our hearts. Yet we have sung that you are mighty to save because we believe it. We believe that in Jesus Christ, you have not been silent, but spoken the final word. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see that that final petal is marked mighty to save, that punishment is over, that God has spoken and that deliverance is ours. Renew our confidence, we pray, in the mercy that you have shown us, in the man from Nazareth, Jesus Christ. Amen.